Coming up on the Tall Mike Wine Podcast. Chase your dreams, and as they say, you'll never work a day in your life. I think heat does something to your mind, your soul, your well-being. It makes you want to dance. It makes you want to take your clothes off. What do you think of the coaster? I think you're more handsome in person. Did we say you weren't drinking when you were 20? You're lying! Carbonic maceration. It just sounds like you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, maybe. And now, the Tall Mike Wine Podcast. The cell phones have been silenced. The wine has been poured. It's real wine. And we're going to drink it. We do that on this show. And just like that, the podcast begins. The Tall Mike Wine Podcast. The wine podcast that's not all about wine. The wine podcast like no other. Currently sitting at number 12 on the feed spot list of the best wine podcasts. I'm Mike Stone, your tall, wine-obsessed host for the podcast heard in 53 countries on six continents and in 47 of these United States, from Alabaster, Alabama, to Aloha, Oregon, from Pikesville, Maryland, to Nashville, Tennessee, yes, Music City, USA, and wherever you are, thanks for finding the podcast. Now, the interactive part of the show, where you... Help to grow it by subscribing, rating, writing a rave review. Use your words. I'm told it helps a lot. On we go now to episode 36, coming to you from the Vintner's Room at Nicholson Ranch Winery in Sonoma, California, a.k.a. Wine Country. My day job is here. In fact, we've just closed the tasting room, and now I can focus on my guest. He is a winemaker who also owns a small winery. He's also a first-generation Cuban-American who grew up in Florida and claims influences like Jimi Hendrix and Anthony Bourdain. From No Love Lost Wine Company, please welcome Jay Nunez. Hey, Jay. Oh, Mike, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here, too. The view from your work is gorgeous, and I feel really blessed to spend the time with you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you love it. I get to come here every day. When I leave my house in the morning, I tell my girlfriend I'm going to work. She thinks I have some sort of real job. <laughs> I think that's the blessing that we all have being in this industry. Chase your dreams, and as they say, you'll never work a day in your life. That's right. I know for certain you're my first Cuban-American guest, as well as the first guest named Jay. Congratulations. Thank you. My mom called me Justin. I had no choice in what people called me growing up. So Jay just stuck, and I'm sticking with it. I think there's a lot of cool Jays out there in the world. I'm on the fence. I've never liked it. Really? But I also feel like it's important not to attach too much identity to a name or a physical appearance or a face that you're in life and to focus more on growth. If your name was Mike, you might feel differently. I love Mike. Because there's a bazillion of us. Let me tell you, I have like 25 <laughs> mics in my phone right there's now. There's a lot of them. And I tend to gravitate towards mics they're typically stand-up guys good people will tell you how they feel there's a lot you can pull from a name and also absolutely nothing depending on the person that's the beauty of astrology names right. uh, varietals yeah try not to go too deep into any dissecting <laughs> no love lost extremely unique name for a winery how did you come up with it what does it mean man speaking of meaning i did music before wine so to this day i write i play guitar and I was a part of a collective that started an educational company in 2019. 
the idea of being building the inclusivity or the inclusive side of the wine industry, there seems to be too much of a barrier, too much monotone. The demographic seems to be a little too monotone. The snobbiness, the sterility, as we had touched on earlier. Mm-hmm. Well, I sold my stake in that company, long story short. Moved on from education to focusing purely on wine. And the idea was we I left amicably. I think no love needs to be lost. I champion underdog grapes. I love the friends that I've worked with in the past. I was onto this project because I was hyper-focused on farming and the grape-to-glass idea. Let's turn back the clock. Your parents are Cubans. They came over when and to where? That sounds so funny. What? They're Cubans. <laughs> Your parents are Cubans. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry I had to break it to you. No, nah, they're, they're great. I love them to death. They're fantastic people. Yeah, let's talk about it. Uh, they were pushed out of a country that they called home due to an opposing ideology, a belief system that differed from what actually came to rise to prominence on the island. The development of communism and the Castro regime pushed a lot of people off the island. My parents left as teenagers. On my mother's side, they went to Spain, spent about two years there, ended up in California. On my father's side, they left and made their way to California. They met in California. I was born in California in Los Angeles. So they didn't know each other in Cuba? They did not. Oh, interesting. From different parts of the island. It's the largest island in the Caribbean. It's hard to really grasp how large it is in comparison to other islands. Let's say Puerto Rico is about the size of the Havana metropolis area. Not to okay. be quoted. I don't know this exactly, but where Cuba... I'm sure we've got people looking up their atlases right yeah. now. Let's, check, let's fact check this like that's, that's not true. <laughs> my father's from the eastern side of the island and my mom's from Havana. They met, they got married, they had my brother, my sister, and then me. Moved to Orange County, California, and then Orange County, Florida. And I grew up in Orlando. So there's two siblings. Two siblings. And Jay's the baby. I'm the baby. Was there wine in the house? Any other alcohol? I think wine was always present, but not the focus. Anytime you live in a tropical climate, you don't really tend to focus so much on wine, but more refreshment and entertainment. I think heat does something to your mind, your soul, your well-being. It makes you want to dance. It makes you want to take your clothes off. It makes you want to drink something refreshing, spicy. And my grandfather, uh, who spent some time in Spain and was an avid traveler, he really brought a lot of those cultural phenomenons home with him. It was a special occasion thing. And not in the sense that it was expensive, but more it was New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve. And we opened a couple bottles of wine to share with the family or a bottle of brandy. So tell me about this first wine we're sipping. We are sipping, uh, we're going to sip two wines that Jay has brought from No Love Lost. Tell me about this first wine. I was part of an educational company with a group of sommeliers with the idea of assisting people in furthering their sommelier certification. Okay. In that scene, Riesling is everything. And I was fascinated with the idea of, as I always have been, I think with everything I do, of breaking the rules, bucking convention, and doing something completely different. So I searched for Riesling for a couple of years. I had an opportunity to secure this vineyard site, and I took it. And it's a Riesling from technically Dry Creek Valley AVA. Okay. But it's about an hour west of Healdsburg. So that's pretty far west. Yeah, and it's far from Napa where I'm centered. So it's been a an interesting thing to take on. The definition of passion project, because it's about an hour and a half each way. It's the most beautiful vineyard I've ever sourced fruit from. Dan Gustafson's... 
He claims he's an agricultural engineer or a landscape engineer, but I think he's just a pioneer. He bought the land. He planted about 45 acres or so. And in a small pocket in the northwest corner of the property, he found that there was blue slate, that there was granite, and that it was cooler than the rest of the property. And he said, you know what? I'm going to put an acre and a half of Riesling right here. And he did that. I really wanted to make a Spate Laces style with a little residual sugar, mm-hmm. but with an acid that could carry it. Mm-hmm. Little background about No Love Loss. It's a natural wine brand, so I minimize the inputs in the vineyard and in the cellar. So I wanted to make a wine naturally that had residual sugar. Bad idea. For anyone in the natural wine scene, they probably know this. <laughs> um, so I bottled the wine with about 16 grams per liter residual sugar. Sorry about the nerdy stuff. The fermentation was stopped by chilling the tanks down, and then the wine was bottled. Mm-hmm. And of course, it refermented. As that secondary, ferm- accidental secondary fermentation occurred in bottle, what we ended up ended up encountering was a wine that was effervescent, frizzante. Yeah, frizzante. I love that. I love that shit. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't have any corks popping. Uh, you didn't have that much today. Oh, really? If you can't point fun at yourself, what's the point? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And there has been some incidences and some very esteemed establishments that I don't want to talk about today, but I like to say that all of my wines are alive and carry the spirit of the place that they were from. The drama in this bottle, it just wants to jump out and jump into your glass and get to know you. It's delicious. I want to harken back to what you said about sommeliers being obsessed with Riesling because a a very recent guest on the show, uh, Shelby, my friend down in San Diego, the subject of Riesling came up and she said something to the effect of, don't Trust a psalm that is not obsessed with Riesling. Preach. And I'm tasting in this something that you very rarely will find in a domestic Riesling as far as the nose goes. That nice petroleum, it has kind of an oily smell to it, which I think is lovely. And then you go into the, uh, on the palate, you get this nice apple, but slightly sweet apple. And then as soon as you start swooshing it around in your mouth, you get the bubbles. This wine has given me a lot of, a lot of different interesting and fun sensations. Thank you. I take that all as the greatest pat on the back. Did you bring any sushi with you? Because that would be really nice with this wine. And that's what, honestly, we've been doing a lot of. Being centered in Napa, I'm inundated with hearty wines. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. You're in, you're in Napa. Everything's big in Napa. Slutty Napa cab, bring it on. Right. And I tipped a hat at the Trailblazers. I respect and admire the path that they paved for me. Thank you, guys. Yeah. But I have to be true to my taste. And we talked about being from a tropical climate. I like a fresher style. I like a style that's food-friendly. I don't want to have to burn a steak and sit next to the fire and tell good stories to enjoy my glass of wine. I just want to have the wine. Well, yeah, because it's a challenge. We see it here on the warm days. People are coming, and it's like 95 degrees out. I'm like, who wants Pinot? Everybody's like, oh, I don't know, a red wine, really? Oh. I spent five years at an estate in Rutherford, and I laughed all the time doing sales, seeing people drink 15-plus percent alcohol in Napa Cab in the sun. And kudos to them. I mean, if, if oysters and Napa Cab is your jam, I'm going to sell it to you. <laughs> I love it. No judgment. It just, it seems odd. <laughs> I've handed Jay a small stack of Tall Mike Wine official podcast coasters. What do you think of the coaster? I think you're more handsome in person. Really? A lot of people say, this isn't you because your goatee has a lot of white hair in it, and this coaster only has a little bit of white hair on the goatee. Mike Stone is a good name, first of all. It is. It's a good name. It's it is. solid. 
two syllables. It's all you need, right? You'll remember me. That's all you need. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I think I gravitated towards what you were doing because as we kind of touched on earlier, you can be literal or you can kind of dance around things and, and get to know them better by doing it. The coaster is great. I'm glad you like it. All right, let's talk about Jimi Hendrix. When did you first hear Jimi Hendrix? And what happened? Man, I must have been in, I was six or seven years old. And I'll never forget, my dad bought like a TV, like one of the first like big TVs we had in the household. So this must have been, I was born in 88. So this must have been like 94. So, okay, you know, the 80s were still kind of pushing into what was grunge and all that. You know it better than I do not yeah. to touch on that. Well, we went from the 80s where it was a lot of electronic stuff and then a hard swerve toward grunge, which was just the way the music business works. You know, oh, we're done with that now. We're going to move on to this kind of thing. I like that. And it's it's funny that technology also started to cement itself in our existence. And your TV went from tiny to larger. Your sound systems went from vinyl and cassettes to more digital CDs. And VH1 was a thing in those days. I don't, I don't watch much TV now, but when I was a kid, I would turn this TV on and be fascinated. It was a gateway to the world. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, I was flipping through the channels and I heard Voodoo Child and I saw a black and white Stratocaster and I was like, this is a guitar for those who don't know. And I saw Jimi Hendrix just making these out of world sounds and I was like, pop, that's what I'm going to be. And he was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and lo and behold, shout out to them in Hillsburg, but lo and behold, that year he put the the practice amplifier by the Christmas tree. This is one of the only years, let me tell you, that we had a Christmas tree because my dad is very like immigrant status. Like we work, we don't spend money frivolously. Right, right. We don't need a tree. No, exactly. And that year I remember the tree and I remember this little box. It was heavy as hell. And I'd go up and shake it, like shake it. And I was like, I, I'm, I give up. And I, I find, I typically find that I'm clever or I think I'm clever. Uh-huh. I can figure things out. But this year was different, and I was just so upset with myself because I was like, damn, I can't figure this shit out. Like, what? This crazy old man. There was something in the box, and, and you I didn't know what it was. Like some, like, and that frustrated you? It did frustrate me. He put the guitar out on Christmas, and I made noise every day since. And at the same time, he started giving me vinyls to play on his old record system that we set up. And being a, the son of immigrants, I've never felt like I was really from here but i'm not really from where my parents are so seeing someone who is a minority and at that level and that skill set was incredible and it gave me something to dedicate my life to and and to, to really put my energy into and i think that the way he broke the rules is is transcending and timeless and i hope to do the same in whatever space i end up in it had to have been interesting for you to see a guitar player like that that was a person of color also, because most of those rock gods, they're white guys. Hell yeah, they are. Right? I was like, oh, wait, that guy's, that guy's black. That's yeah. A, that's so different. Especially thinking of the age that you were. Those kind of, th- I don't know, maybe you didn't think about it. I did. And it's funny. It's, thank you for saying it. Because at the time, I saw like the Motown artists, you know, the Isley brothers. I saw... Curtis May, I just saw like very tight and polished people. Mm-hmm. And then it was just like, obviously, it was from a time before me. Right. But for me and my personal chronological order, mm-hmm. it was like these like Bowtown singers, Aretha Franklin, and like a very specific style. And then Jimi Hendrix. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, there is no limitations. And I think that really 
stuck with me and kind of even inspired the logo for my company. How much wine do you make? Depends on the year. Okay. What's typical? Right now, we're about a 1,000 cases. Okay. It comes from all over the Bay Area. I'm hoping to expand. I think I have plans and projections to more than double that this year. But what's important is the integrity of the product. To me, it's important to know that every aspect of this process supports small business, doesn't have additives, is honest and and fueled by integrity. Um, every grape I source or land piece of land that I lease is a, is a family, and every bottle that you buy doesn't just mean you get to have fun and imbibe and 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 have a good time. It means that you're supporting someone's kids, you're buying shoes, you're paying for tuition, and I think that's really cool. And um, I I don't really talk about it much. I, I hope that people just like the wine and think that they taste good. It's important to the people who find it important. That's the thing. You can't necessarily make people feel it the way you feel it. You're right. I don't want it on the billboard, but I want it on the liner notes. Okay. You yeah. know, like I, I want you right. to know that the ethics that fuel the project are good. You told me in your bio that you saw the movie Bottle Shock in 2008 and were fascinated by wine. Uh, what was your relationship to wine before that? Yeah. Well, 2008 means I was 20. Okay. So I'm supposed to say I wasn't drinking. Well, you're not on this podcast. I was recreationally. <laughs> on this podcast, if you say you weren't drinking when you were 20, say, <laughs> you're lying. I was doing a lot of things recreationally. And in Spain, 18, and you're full full bore, let's party. Yeah, of course. So I was really fortunate. My mom is amazing. And when I graduated high school, she bought me a rail pass and a plane ticket to Spain. And she said, go, explore, because before you know it, life's going to happen and you're going to be stuck grinding. And I thought she was so full of shit. And I was like, whatever. It took me two years to go. Well, you didn't go right away? You didn't just drop everything and go? I was immersed in my social life. In your bubble? <laughs> your friends? Yeah, it was really important to me to be present when I was 18. I did music. I played in a band. We were mildly successful locally. Was that in Florida? Orlando, Florida. Okay. So it was important to me to be present. Then you finally got on the plane. I did. And you saw this movie about some kids way back in the 70s, man. And that, that turned you on to wine. That made you think, hmm, wine? Or what was your thought? I had had I had wine before, but it was like, try this. Culture yourself, young man. And I, right. I don't at that time especially, I was like, you know, fuck that. Like, All right. You're sure. not you're sure, not sure, sure. You're not telling me how to culture you're at the me. Perfect age. Yeah. <laughs> you're going into full on rebellious mode. Yeah. So I saw the movie. I was fascinated. I had no idea that there was this world outside of mine. And of course, I'm a history buff. I'm a, I'm a searcher of culture. So I'd searched a lot of things out. But when I realized I was missing out on a complete world of wine, alcoholic beverages, culture, history, mm -hmm. I landed in Barajas Airport in Madrid. And my cousin on my mom's side, Javi, picked me up. I was like, dude, I got to go try all the wine. And he's like, get in the car. That's old people shit. And I was like, all right. <laughs> so he'd go off to work. I, I think I was just 20. Just turned 20. And I would take the train to the bodegas. And and they're like, why are you here, American? They knew I was American. They knew I, right. I didn't fit. The second we got that instant 
that beginning, like we're going to feel each other out, ruffle our feathers and then see okay. that we're both cool. It, it would turn into like two or three day. Like I spent the night at people's houses. I went on road trips with families. I got on the train with people I had just met. I think it taught me a lot about hospitality and humanity. We don't have to see eye to eye to have healthy discourse and to leave being friends. We don't have to become enemies because we don't agree on some things. Yeah. And I'm a Hemingway fan. So the Spanish Civil War always resonates in my mind and my being. And the fact that your neighbor could have been part of the other side and you were supposed to shoot at him over here, but then have drinks and dinner with him over here was always <laughs> intriguing. At the end of the day. We're still going to drink and have fun. Like, So we're going to inaugurate a brand new feature on the podcast momentarily. Jay will be my first guinea pig. But first, let's taste the second wine, which is in my glass, and it has this really pretty pinkish hue to it. But this is a wine made from white wine grapes, right? Red wine. Oh, that's right. This is the... Um, Kunwa. Kunwa's. Kunwa's. For some reason, you told me Kunwa's when you first got here. And then in my mind, as we were sitting here, I started thinking Pickpool. Pickpool's delicious. I love Pickpool. <laughs> and I thought, oh, look, he made an orange wine from Pickpool grapes. That'd be so this is a rosé from Kunwa's. It's actually a red wine. So Kunwa's background story, one of the 13 grapes accepted in the southern Rhone region of Chateauneuf to Pop. In its home, it's only about 1.5% of the plantings. So it's rare and implemented in places that they feel lack in an aromatic integrity that need a certain layer of spice, boldness, but are unafraid of the lack of color. And its lack of concentration of anthocyanins in the skin is what pushed it into this area where people thought it was just a lesser grape. And you're beginning to see the onset and development of the planting of this grape, Kunwa's, because it's drought tolerant, heat resistant, yields decently, can be planted in a lot of different types of soil and still produce a wine that tastes great. But because of that low concentration of anthocyanins is light in color. So I did not know that. I didn't even know what Kunwa's was and I was sourcing Grenache and Lodi and for the rosé I make. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all good old boy stuff there. They're like, come check this vineyard out. And I was good like, old boy stuff. I swear to <laughs> God. I was like, all right, let's go. And it needed some some love. So that's, how they, that's how they roll in Lodi. It's good old boy stuff. It reminds me a lot of Florida or Texas. It's not quite Southern, but some people do talk with a twang. As you head South from Lodi, mm-hmm. it becomes the South, but the Western South. If that makes any sense. Okay. No, no, no. That that makes complete sense. Because if you look at the map, you're out there in sort of the the hinterlands. You're not lying. When I think of Merle Haggard being from the Central Valley and like how much of an icon of outlaw country he is, right. I'm like, oh right. shit, that makes sense. So Kunwa's has, do the grapes have thinner skins? They're juicy grapes. So okay. they have high water content. So this is not going to make a dark red wine. You can, but you got to... Beat them the hell up. Okay. The ideology behind everything I do, the, the approach is minimal movement, minimal pressure, mm-hmm. allowing nature to do its thing. You're telling me this is a red wine? This is the lightest color red wine I've ever had? Yes, sir. It's always nice to have your mind blown just a little bit, right? If you remove bias, you allow yourself to grow every day. Totally. Totally. So this is a Kunwas. And from what vintage? 2021. 
Did it sit in a barrel for a while? It did, 11 months. Okay. I vinify this red a la Beaujolais via carbonic maceration. I don't want to get too deep in the nerdy stuff. Carbonic maceration, we've talked about that on this podcast. So basically- I like to say it, carbonic maceration. It just sounds like you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing, maybe. And it's an interest. It's an interesting process, but basically, it sits in a open top fermenter between two and five weeks. At that point, the grapes will actually get foot tread and then pressed. The grape. Another thing that I really should mention is it doesn't ripen to the points where Cab or Zinfandel mm-hmm. or Merlot or your typical red grapes do in California. But so you pick at a point that. You can maintain the integrity, the biological integrity of the wine. So the, the alcohols tend to be lower um, in the 11. That's wild. I've never had, I guess I've never had a varietal Kunwas before. It's very light. It's very fruity. It's got some nice watermelon and strawberry going on. So I wasn't wrong by saying this is a rosé because it has a lot of those same notes you would give a rosé. You're never wrong, Mike. It's your perspective. You're entitled to that. Wine tasting is a completely subjective experience. My opinion is my opinion, and it's right. But so is yours. I love that. And that's <laughs> like, every art, right? I like to tell people who come in here that the same thing, because they come in and they say, I don't know anything about wine. I'm like, what does somebody think of this wine? Well, I don't know anything. I'm like, well, you don't have to know things to be able to tell me what you think of it. In fact, I think education pulls away from your ability to perceive things. Well, it starts to tell you what you're supposed to think. Yeah. And that, then it's like, okay, now you're, now you're just reading the script. I don't like the script. No, I it's think not we good. should all let the script go, personally. All right, now it's time for a new feature on the podcast. I'm going to put some music here and maybe even a sound effect. I'm calling it, and now for a random question. And here to kick off this new feature is Jay Nunez. The category is grocery shopping. Jay Yes or no, are you a fan of self-checkout, and why or why not? Self-checkout is a thing that has to happen, so I am a fan, and I'm a fan because sometimes I'm in a hurry, but most of the times I'm buying alcohol, so I don't use it. Right, you can't do it. You're not so, in California anyway. Yeah, so I love it. At Home Depot, I love it. At Safeway, I'm like, what the hell? So I'm a, I'm... The salmon that doesn't go upstream. I'm not not going to push against whatever innovation comes. <laughs> I think, it, it, like you said, it's it's convenient. It'll save you a little bit of time if there is a line. Um, I think it'll also save me a little bit of money if I make mistakes. Ringing in my produce. It's a good point. My broccolini is weighed out as russet potatoes. And if somebody ever says, hey, you rang those in wrong, I'll say, well, I'm, I missed that day of training. I left my glasses in the car. No, I missed that day of training. <laughs> They're letting me check out the groceries, and I've never been trained to do so. These scallops aren't <laughs> potatoes? <laughs> what? Yes. All right. Thank you for playing the random question. All right. We need to take some pictures for Instagram. Okay. Okay. Um, well, my phone is turned off. Okay. We'll take some pictures for Instagram when we're done, but remind me, okay? Yeah, of course. Uh, let's say we go to dinner somewhere nice. What's your pre-dinner cocktail? I guess it's really dependent on climate. Okay. We're somewhere nice. Let's say we were going tonight. Tonight? Today was a very rainy day here in wine country. The rain came and went and came and went and came and went, and it's going to keep raining, and it's been raining a lot, and everybody's excited about that. I like in the winter complexity. I think the winter makes you introspective. It makes you plan for when the sun's out. 
So I like the idea of an absinthe cocktail. I want to say last word comes to mind. Love the last word. Yeah. Although Chartreuse. one has to be careful with the last word because if the last word is not the last cocktail, then you have another one. <laughs> it can be dangerous. That's yeah. a big glass full of booze is what that is. I, and I, it, you're not lying. I do like it though. I think of a friend who I met actually in the winter, my first friend in Napa. Shout out Josh Weed. But he takes shots of chartreuse. And I think that every time, it's human nature to parallel to your own experience. And every time someone asks me or I think of what I want at this time of the year, I think of him. Well, like you said, complexity. And yeah. that chartreuse and absinthe, that's, there's a lot going on. But you could only really do it when the weather's a little chilly. Yeah. Have you been a guest on many podcasts, Jay? I have not. Okay. How do, you, um, how do you like it? I don't like it, but I like you. Okay, thank you. I, What's not to like? We're just having a conversation. I'm a writer, so I I mull things over a lot. Right. So if I was, if we were to sit down and try to edit this together, mm-hmm. I would cut out like half of what I said and and make us do this till like two in the morning. And I think that when the vessel that is our flesh and bones leaves, all we are left with was our consciousness. And the blessing of when we are existing is we can record that. And I I'm blessed with and burdened with the idea of that. <laughs> so I love I love the podcast listenings but i for me talking to people i've always hidden behind instruments or a pen and paper or a fermentation tank you ain't lying yeah <laughs> any podcast recommendations what do you listen to guild psalm i think is great levy dalton's i'll drink to that i mentioned to you earlier okay. any non-wine podcasts mike tyson mike tyson has a podcast hot boxing really used to be really good and he's kind of dived into more pop culture topics and i think that what made me gravitate towards the podcast was someone with a past i i as well have a past and i thought it was really cool to see someone as important as as much of an icon as mike have a rebirth and and bring all this positivity to the table and that sounds cool man i'll have to check it out that's cool we've been talking with jay nunez philosopher winemaker (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now I'm going to read the credits. Thanks for bringing the wine. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, <laughs> I appreciate y'all. Much love and many blessings in 2023 to everyone who's listening and even to those that aren't. That's right. We're just the start. Just the start of things. It's always just the start. The Tall Mike Wine Podcast was conceived and is written, produced, edited, and maintained by yours truly. And now the podcast is two years old. To see behind the scenes, follow me on Instagram at TallMikeWine. See what I'm drinking. Show me what you're drinking by using the hashtag SexyBottleShot. For your very own set of coasters, drop an email to TallMikeWine at gmail.com. And if you haven't done so, give the podcast a rating and write a review for Apple Podcasts. And tell your friends they need this podcast in their lives. I hope your 2023 is going great so far. Thanks, Jay Nunez, for No Love Lost Wines, for joining me. I'll be back again soon. I'm Mike Stone. Keep swirling, keep sniffing, keep sipping. Cheers. Cheers.